With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone, welcome to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time to tune in. If you are listening to our show uh, on the Cleveland Guardians radio network, most likely on Saturday afternoon, hopefully you've had a, a great Saturday. We do record this prior to the show airing, so we do not know uh, the result of the Ohio State-Michigan game, but hopefully... It was a game for the ages, certainly with two teams in the top five coming in. A lot of anticipation for that one, but thanks for making some time for some baseball talk on the radio. We have a good show lined up for you today. We'll continue with our Game of the Week segment, some of the great games of the 2022 season. We take a look back with some interviews and highlights as well, and we'll take you back to a walk-off win, one of seven in the regular season for the Guardians this year. This one against the Twins in what turned out to be a memorable five-game series at the end of June between the two rivals at the top of the division. And uh, this a walk-off home run off the bat of Andres Jimenez, who would later learn uh, down down the road that week that he was going to the All-Star game. And uh, certainly uh, a pleasant surprise for him and part of a tremendous season for the Guardians' second baseman. So that's coming up in... Uh, the second half of our show today in just a little bit we'll hear from emmy award-winning director andy billman a cleveland native who has done some great work uh, mainly with espn you may remember the film on the 30 for 30 segments called believe land uh, where it just talked about some of the heartbreak in all the different sports for cleveland sports teams but kind of i think conveyed to the country uh what sports mean in Cleveland and how it's been not the easiest in terms of winning and losing being a Cleveland sports fan, but so many great memories regardless of uh, the sport, whether it's the NFL Browns, the Cavaliers, or uh, the Cleveland baseball franchise. So many great moments and, and so many heartbreaking moments too. And, and Andy summed that up beautifully in Believe Land, and he's out with a new film called War on the Diamond, which is the definitive documentary of the passing of Ray Chapman, the only player to die on the field of play when he was killed by a pitch back in 
1920 season against the Yankees. And it not only talks so much about Chapman and that impact, but also Carl Mays, the pitcher for the Yankees who threw the pitch, and then how that dovetailed into just a tremendous rivalry over the past hundred years between the Yankees and the then Indians and now Guardians, which continued this season uh, in a postseason series that that had its twists and turns as well. So uh, a fun interview with Andy, uh, just talking about a, a very serious subject, but uh, a tremendous documentary. And there'll be some things that you learn in here that weren't even in the documentary that he talks about about the rivalry between New York and Cleveland. So that's coming up shortly, so we invite you to stay tuned as we get rolling with Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic. Guardians Radio Network. Progressive's Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Now that we've covered something you could do, it's time for sports stuff you definitely could not do. If you were head coach, you would not have gone for it on fourth down. Your confidence in your play calling ability might be a little overblown, considering you're barely confident in which restaurant to order takeout from, let alone choosing a play in front of 70,000 screaming fans. But you definitely can use Progressive's Home Court Explorer to easily compare rates. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly, and we take a break from normal baseball talk to talk about maybe something that you want to look into during the holiday season if you have some extra time and and the want to uh, take in a really great movie, a, more of a documentary called War on the Diamond, and it, it deals with really one of baseball's greatest tragedies, the hit-by-pitch passing of Ray Chapman, the uh, Cleveland star shortstop back in the late teens and uh, the 1920 season uh, feature documentary that debuted recently. And we are joined now by Emmy-winning director Andy Billman, a Cleveland native who uh, has worked at ESPN for a long time and has put together some great films. And uh, Andy, uh, pleasure to have you on. I had a chance to watch the movie. Great work. And uh, I know, I imagine for you growing up in this area, a labor of love to not only detail um, a real tragic moment, but a great rivalry between the Yankees and the then Indians. Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of touched on something there. You're right. When I was growing up and to give some um, context, so I'm 43. So I did grow up in the major league years. And so during, you know, a, a one, you know, a one to 11 beating by the A's, you would start to reflect on the past and then you go, okay, so what do these things mean around municipal 48, 54? 
and you would talk about things with your dad and your mom about certain things. But really, 1920 never got brought up. There's not a lot of uh, Clevelanders. I don't know if they know the story of this. I know I really didn't until I started doing Believe Land. And then once I got into Believe Land, I started understanding the story more about Ray Chapman and Carl Mays and the 1920 Indians. And that's why I did the film. Uh, there's a lot of history between these two clubs. I was taught growing up to hate the Yankees. Uh, I heard about all the stories of why we do. But I think this incident in 1920 obviously you know, sparked some rivalry for obvious reasons. And I think it carried for 102 years. And hopefully the film carries out that way for viewers. But the Ray Chapman story is a very important story. And really that whole team's important because, A, it's one of our two championships as a fan. And, B, um, it actually has moments in there that's changed baseball from owners not wanting to use a lot of baseballs in the game. That changed that. Obviously, in future years, they're changing into having helmets. Safety for the game really changed. And in my opinion, it was the last. That 1920 season was kind of the last of the dead ball era. And starting in the early 20s with Babe Ruth, it really became the long ball. So that season ended a lot of things, and ironically, the Cleveland Indians won the pennant on a tragic, on a tragic note. So if that was a jumping-off point, that 1920 season and, and the tragic death of Ray Chapman, uh, how did it evolve into all the different areas that you went in terms of the rivalry and the different eras that uh, maybe it was hotter than it was at, at other times? Well, I would say that I'm a big believer in rivalries, and that obviously is implemented in the film. I learned that through doing um, a lot of different films and a lot of different sporting work. I think rivalry, rivalries are really important in sports. And I definitely think we have one with the Yankees. And ironically, not ironically, but luckily, I think for this one, it's not just in a, in a period time gap, meaning the Royals and Yankees for a short period of time between the late 70s and early 80s actually had a really good rivalry. Very intense, back and forth, but it isn't. It really never continued from there. You can even argue Cavs and Warriors in a different sport. Great era, great five-year period, but, I mean, after it ended, it ended. It really kind of, you know, teams went their separate ways. The Yankees and Indians really did start in 1920 and really continued all the way until today, and obviously we saw what happened last year in the playoffs. And, you know, it's one of the – and a moment that came to me, Rosie, is when Naylor did his – motioning back and forth in game four and then what you saw in new york in game five with the hands with the fans holding up baby dolls well ironically for fans that don't know the yankees fans back in the 30s held up baby dolls about bob feller because he was he and some of his teammates were known as crybabies at that time we talk about in the film so to me as a filmmaker kind of in a weird way touched me it's like well, look at this 90 years later Yankees fans, again, are holding up baby dolls. <laughs> and it kind of brought me back to what this film's about. So I think these two teams have a lot of uh, moments, whether it's 48, 54, which we talk about, the Feller-DiMaggio relationship, what obviously happened with um, Herb Score in 57, all the way through the 90s, the memorable Bugs game. And then maybe the most importantly, what happened with Steinbrenner, George being a Clevelander, who wanted, who, whose dream was to buy the Indians, and he ended up buying the Yankees. And I definitely think that plays into the rivalry. As long as there's a Steinbrenner family owning the team, which they still currently do, technically that's a Bay Village, Ohio team. I mean, sorry, Bay Village, Ohio family owning the Yankees. 
that's all you need to say. I think that 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 is a rivalry. <laughs> it is fascinating for sure. And, and when you look at it, and we're visiting with Andy Billman, who uh, put together, directed, and uh, produced War on the Diamond. And we'll get to how you can view that in just a minute. But, uh, Andy, anything surprise you that maybe you didn't know as, as you did some research? And, man, there was some research done on this because there's some things that, that I never was aware of, certainly, and uh, was just fascinating. Anything uh, surprise you at all as you got deep into it? Um, there's a lot of things, actually. But the one or two things that actually didn't make the film that I think are interesting notes is the sad story that happened with Tony Horton. Um, he's a baseball player that played for the Indians who sadly had a mental breakdown during the middle of a Yankees Indians game. And he never played another baseball game for major league baseball or the tribe. And for people who want to look up more on Tony Horton, I actually tried to find Mr. Horton and I was unable to do so. That's an interesting story and a very sad one. And then another story or two that came up that I did not know was what happened with Ray Fossey. Fossey was a catcher for the Indians, and sadly, he was thrown a cherry bomb at his feet and exploded in the middle of a game in New York. And it was very bad, very sad, and he was seriously injured in the moment. And uh, Marty Appel, who's in the film, said it was one of the scariest moments he had seen in person as a PR guy. So there were some of the moments there that were a little bit more you know, sad and tragic. There's a lot of those type of connections between these two teams and for people who don't know, even the cities themselves, back in the early 20th century, there's a lot of connections between people from both cities. Rockefeller, for example, huge imprint in Cleveland, huge imprints in New York, and there's several other people like that too. So those, but, but to, to your point about what I learned, those are two or three things I learned, Rosie. They aren't even in the film. So there's a lot of connections between the two teams. And if I had more time, I probably would have done another 30 minutes on those kind of stories. And you look back on it, you, you did Believe Land, one of the, the 30 for 30s on, on ESPN. Did that help in, in putting this together, just yeah. kind of that background? It did. In fact, um, your partner, Hamilton, um, he was the one who kind of tipped me off about some things. And he was the one who kind of gave me some perspective after the 97 victory when they beat the Yankees in three games. And then, and then Scott Rabb, who was in the film, he was the one who told me about Chapman. And he said he was going to be putting quarters on his grave today. And I go, what does that mean? And, I, and he was the one who tipped me off about Ray Chapman. And honestly, that's what kind of got me started. And then I forget the gentleman's name now, but there was another gentleman who I interviewed who told me about how important it was that Steinbrenner was involved in the city. And I go, Steinbrenner? Really? I go, the George Steinbrenner? He goes, yes. And he goes, George tried to buy the Indians in 71. So those three stories in particular, well, not stories. So, uh, Hamilton was more about the energy and the emotion of the series. And then when it came to uh, Rab and um, to others, they were telling me about Steinbrenner and Chapman. So, yes, actually it did. Um, that's kind of where I started gaining knowledge of this, of the passion with the Yankees and Indians was through those kind of guys. So you have this perspective on on Cleveland and, and it, it- certainly shines through in, in this film. They're now on the clock as the team with the longest stretch without a World Series championship. What, what do you think it would mean to this city if, if they can pull it off at some point in time? Oh, Rosie. <laughs> That's how it would be. Oh, it would be Camelot. Um, it would mean everything. Honestly, I think people would go crazy. 
I think you would see a similar reaction to the Cavs winning in 16. Uh, people need to remember this organization is the longest organization in the city. And there's a lot of passionate um, now Guardians fans, old Indians fans, who I think would come out of the woodwork. I think it would mean a lot. So the movie is out, and in this day and age, it used to be maybe 10 years ago, you'd say, oh, go to the theater. <laughs> but now it's so much easier. Uh, tell us how you can view War on the Diamond. You can go to any uh, video demand platform, but most regularly what people use are Apple or Amazon. If you have Xfinity Cable, for example, you can go on your on-demand and rent it or buy it. And it goes for any of the major cable platforms, whether it's DirecTV or AT&T or such. So, yes, go to your favorite platform of choice. Maybe it's a laptop. Maybe it's a big screen. You can have all the choices in the world. But Amazon and Apple are usually the big two people go to. And all you type in is Warren the Diamond. And if you want more information about Warren the Diamond, just go to WarrenTheDiamond.com. And finally, DVDs will be going out, sold to for the holiday. So if you need a good stock, stocking stuffer gift, hey, pick up Warren the Diamond. It'll be right there, right at your hands. And, and not to put pressure on you, but okay, so War on the Diamond, uh, again, watched it last week, and, and it was awesome. Uh, uh-huh. Believe, Believe Land was, was fun. Uh, does this lead to more uh, of Cleveland sports history that, that maybe people are, are not aware of and, and can be revealing? Well, I mean, I was I always look for ideas, and I definitely will always be looking for Cleveland-centric ideas. I always have stuff in the hopper. This all kind of came together in 2020, and the tip-off people, Bobby Biasio and the, and the whole staff, were just so helpful in making this film. So those kind of things go a long way when you're doing any kind of production. But the answer is, of course, yes. Maybe it's another Guardians project. Maybe it's something in 2023 about some sort of parade. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we hoist Jose Ramirez up in the air. <laughs> I like where your head's at. <laughs> exactly. I think, but, but always looking for projects. I obviously have a lot on producing and directing right now. But, yes, always, I, am I always looking for clean projects? Oh, of course. Scratch the itch. Whatever. I'd love to do another Cleveland project. Well, Andy, thanks so much for the time. Great work on uh, the film, War on the Diamond, and um, best of luck in the future in your projects. Thanks, Rosie. Go Guardians. That is Cleveland native Andy Billman, the uh, director and Emmy Award winner of the documentary War on the Diamond, the definitive documentary on Major League Baseball's only player who passed away during the course of play killed by a pitch, Ray Chapman, back in the 1920 season, and that led into uh, a real good recap of the 100-year rivalry between the Yankees and the Indians, and uh, really a, an interesting film and good for, for all ages. Uh, I can tell you I watched it with my 11-year-old son, and, and he was fascinated uh, just by some of the old footage of play back in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s and onward. But uh, really an interesting film. I'm sure there's so many who listen to this show who are uh, well-versed in Cleveland baseball history. But you will, as Andy mentioned during the interview, see some things that uh, maybe you did not know throughout the course of this documentary. War on the Diamond, you can see it just about everywhere on your streaming platforms and elsewhere as well. So we thank Andy for stopping by. Now stay tuned. When we come back, we'll take a look back at one of the great games of the 2022 season, another of the walk-off wins for the Guardians at Progressive Field, this one over the Twins 
midway through the season. Stay tuned. More to come after this. Don't go away, folks. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you on this Thanksgiving weekend. Great to have you with us. Of course, college football taking center stage. If you are listening to this show as it airs on our Cleveland Guardians radio network, but we do have some baseball talk on the radio for you. If that's what you're looking for, and we certainly appreciate that. And of course, this comes in the podcast form as well. Usually drops uh, shortly after the show hits on the radio on Saturdays. You can pick that up wherever you download your favorite podcasts as well as cleeguardians.com, cleeguardians.com, the Guardians website. You can pick up all the archived editions there. And it's time now for our look back at one of the great games of the 2022 season, our Game of the Week segment. And we take you to Thursday afternoon, a midweek day game in front of a good crowd on a beautiful afternoon against the Minnesota Twins. This was June the 30th, and some interesting things happening at this point in the season. Coming into the game, the Guardians were 38-34, and 34, and they were trailing the Twins in the battle for the top spot in the American League Central Division by three games at that point, but only one in the loss column. They had been on a tough West Coast trip where they took five out of six from the Rockies and the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium, so a real good road swing, and they were in the midst of a really challenging homestand. The Twins were in town. They had already played the Red Sox. The Yankees were coming up after the Twins, and they were trying to gain some ground on the Twins. And bear in mind, the night before this game that we're going to look at, Josh Naylor won it with a walk-off home run in the 10th inning. So certainly emotions were high between these two teams. The Guardians were really feeling good about themselves, and they had Shane Bieber on the mound facing Chris Archer for the Twins. And Bieber was really starting to get it rolling at this point in the season. The Guardians got on the board in the second inning with a bases-loaded walk, but the Twins responded in the third with a three-run double by Jose Miranda. That gave Minnesota a 3-1 to lead. The Guardians' offense had several chances throughout the ballgame, but they just couldn't break through until the eighth inning, when again they'd load the bases, and this time Miles Straw delivered. Now the set, now the 2-2. Swung out a chopper in the hole. Diving back in, it's stopped by Correa. Throw to third is wide. Comes toward a home plate off the backstop. This game is tied! In to score, Jimenez and Reyes. To third is Leon. Straw to second. That'll be an RBI single and a throwing error on Carlos Correa, who from the seat of his pants as he was falling, tried to throw the runner out at third and threw wide of third and it went to the backstop behind the plate. So it was a 3-3 game in the bottom half of the ninth inning. Jose Ramirez led off the inning with a walk. Then two quick outs, and it didn't look good to, to try and avoid extra innings. Last chance for the Guardians, and it came with Andres Jimenez at the plate. Here's the payoff delivery. Swung on, hit high, hit deep to right center. Did he do it? Goal! A walk-off, towering to 
celebration. The second consecutive walk-off game-winning home run against Minnesota. And an incredible eight-game stretch against Minnesota saw Cleveland win five times and all five wins in their last at-bat. Andres Jimenez on a 3-2 pitch. A game-winning two-run homer to right center. And the Guardians have done it to Minnesota again by a final score of 5-3. to three. So an emotional win for the Guardians. They do it on the Jimenez walk-off home run, a 5-3 to three victory. And you started to see some trends now. Even though the Guardians were not in first place at this point, the Twins, a team that many thought would be a division-winning contender and, and certainly stayed that way until mid-September, but you started to see some weaknesses in the bullpen for Minnesota, and the Guardians certainly took advantage of that in that five-game series in late June at Progressive Field. Well, we mentioned Jimenez with the walk-off home run. The following week, he found out he was heading to Los Angeles for the All-Star Game as the starting second baseman, it would turn out, for the American League. And we had a chance to catch up with him shortly after that announcement, and he talked about what it was like to hear that news from his manager, Terry Francona. I was entirely surprised by the way how Tito handled it. You know, obviously, I was expecting the other two players to be named Ramirez and Classy, and he did like a little pause, and it really caught me by surprise. I was really surprised when he made the announcement. So along those lines, you've had a good season. Were you thinking All-Star Game, even considering it, or was this a, just a big surprise for you? Oh, honestly, yes. I think about it when, you know, the both in uh, process start. After they, they give the, the results, I was like, okay, just like, let's keep playing. And, like, every day come to the ballpark, help the team to win. And um, that's why it took me for, for surprise today, I think. You're a, an infielder from Venezuela. There's such a great tradition of Venezuelan All-Stars. What do you think it means, not only to you, but but to friends and family back home because of that tradition. Amazing, it's an amazing feeling. Um, you know, like I said before, I grew up watching those stars. Uh, hopefully I can be next to the one of the best hitters of, of my generation and my country, that's Miguel Cabrera. So it's gonna be a special moment for me and my family. And you know, just, I'm gonna try to, to enjoy the moment. So there it was, one of the great games of 2022, one of seven walk-off wins for the Guardians during the regular season, and of course the two at Progressive Field during the postseason, and it just made for a wonderfully exciting season, uh, a season where you just never knew what would happen at the end of games and, and whether you could leave early or not. Not a good idea with this ball club because you can miss some, some really fun endings, and that was one of them. June the 30th, a 5-3 win over the Twins. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll have our final segment of Guardians Weekly. Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio will stop by with one of his At the Ballpark segments next. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money, but it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Hey, I noticed it's been a few minutes since you thought about when your quarterback ran into his own teammate and fumbled, technically forcing his own fumble, and then the other team took it in for a score, and then you couldn't turn on the TV for a month without being constantly reminded of the time your quarterback sacked himself and fumbled. 
Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly, our final segment as we join you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Hope you've had a great Thanksgiving and a fun holiday weekend, and it's the start of the holiday season. So hopefully you have a chance to stop by the Guardians Team Shop down at Progressive Field. Just hit the website for Team Shop Hours, cleguardians.com. But I can tell you at this point, between now and Christmas, some extended hours at the Team Shop downtown to get your Guardians gear. If you don't have it yet, pick it up and you'll be all set to go for the holiday season. Well, a regular feature during the summer on our warm-up shows is at the ballpark with Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, and uh, let's listen back to one of his fun at-the-ballpark segments with Bobby D. The perfectly manicured field, the unmistakable aroma of a ballpark hot dog, and the electricity celebrating another victory. This is At the Ballpark with Bobby D. The ballpark is home to many stories, many memorable moments, and colorful personalities. Joining me now at the ballpark is Mr. Jim Folk, 30-year veteran of the Cleveland Guardians franchise. And Jimmy, when you were instrumental in the building of this ballpark, uh, we first had to identify where home plate would be located. Absolutely right, Bobby. Thanks for having me here. Uh, looking forward to uh, a little chat. But, yeah, it all started with home plate. Everything that we did, I, I, I say we, but the designers and the construction people and us, it all came back to home plate. And before we could build anything, uh, first we had to dig a hole for the field, and then we had to locate exactly where home plate would be. And everything on the blueprints that came from there, you know, radiate off of that 17-inch uh, square. Well, you came to us first. You worked with the Chicago White Sox in stadium operations. Then you were uh, involved in the building of the Suncoast Dome in Tampa right before coming here to help us build Progressive Field. It's just an interesting thought that if you can't identify – where home plate is, there's no way you can build seats around it, dugouts around it, bullpens, all the things necessary to make sure the fans have that beautiful total experience. As you went through it, what are some of the things that still stick into your head uh, in the building of this uh, beautiful, beautiful ballpark that's now in its 29th year? <laughs> well, the first assignment I had was uh, to help coordinate the on-field ceremony that uh, Mr. Jacobs had had uh, wanted to do along with Gateway and uh, Mel Harder and Charlie Nagy and uh, Sandy Alomar. There was a ceremonial first pitch right down, I mean, the same home plate that's here now, you know, on the infield. And we had this ceremony of, hey, this thing is going to be for real now. Everybody who had lived through uh, decades of uh, you know going to games at League Park at at uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium had been excited about this new baseball only ballpark right in the heart of downtown 
just the the enthusiasm throughout the entire city, um, the 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 people that we got to work with, it, it was all just it was it was, I hate to say magical, because it was a construction project, but it was really just so cool because building a ballpark is like building no other thing because of what the use of it's going to be. And one of the fun things was we'd organize trips from the, from the stadium over here to the ballpark while it was still under construction. You know, once things really started to come out of the ground and you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have to arrange it because the timing of those visits you know, I had to work around the, the, the games, obviously, but also had to work around the construction right. schedule because, one, you had to make sure that there wasn't a crane moving steel while your ball player was walking through here with a hard hat. Um, but the other was the, the construction workers were baseball fans. I mean, they all had, you know, uh, Indians uh, or Wahoo stickers or something. I mean, they were fans here. On, the, on, on their, their hard hat helmets, yeah, right, right. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were able to to bring the players over, but you had to make sure that all work didn't cease and everybody come running after after Sandy to try to get an autograph or something. I agree with you wholeheartedly. One of the most memorable aspects of the building of this beautiful facility, this uh, intimate urban baseball-only ballpark, the ceremonial first pitch will go down uh, in my memory banks is one of the all-time greatest events we ever did. Um, there's also a thing called the Folk Flush <laughs> that uh, I think you need to uh, share with all of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> it was the uh, Folk Memorial Flush. <laughs> so the week before we opened up the park back in, this was in March of 94, um, Based on experience I had had previously, so you'd mentioned I'd been at Old Comiskey uh, and I was down in St. Pete and we opened that building up in uh, 1990 and then I went in 91, went up to go visit my friends back in Chicago uh, and help them open that ball, the new Comiskey. But the idea was you don't want the first time 40,000 people are flushing toilets and running sinks to be when you're paying customers. And so you do a, a dry run. And so what we had done, we invited all of the contractors and their families to come in. One is an appreciation because these guys, you know, and, and, and gals had worked so hard. Their kids, you know, they saw, you know, their parents off to work every day and saw them come home at the end of the day. But we wanted to be able to let them show their kids what they had been working on for for a long time so we had them come in we ran all the concession stands so they were able to you know uh, have some you know some hot dogs and and some of the food items that we were having and and you know a beer or a pepsi or something and to walk around and see the place but we also put together a uh, a home run derby and each of the contractors was able to have one or two of their uh, workers participate in this thing and uh, where there was some other events going on but at a certain time to test out the public address system we asked everybody to go into the nearest restroom 
and then over the public address system. That, so this helped us to make sure that the scoreboard and the PA system worked. And at a certain time, we counted down and said, okay, at the count of, you know, three, everybody flush the toilet. And so three, two, one, and all the toilets work. You want to make sure that, you know, the, the plumbing all works and that it'll, you know, uh, survive under a live load, as they say. Uh, and uh, it did. We were very successful. Um, we learned a few things. One of the concession stands over in right field, uh, which no longer exists, um, but it was a hot dog stand or a hamburger stand, and the exhaust system wasn't working well. So it looked like the whole place was on fire for you know because the exhaust hood wasn't working. So we learned that and were able to fix it. But one of the other things, after everybody left, we decided we needed to see if the glass on the press box and the terrace club down the left field line were going to survive a hit by a foul ball. Right. So after everybody left, we took the pitching machine and cranked it up as high as it would go and started firing baseballs at the press box <laughs> glass and the terrace club. The only problem was we forgot to tell the people in the terrace club so they were doing their own dry run. Uh, there were setting tables, and there was also some construction people in there doing some last-minute work, you know, some painting and that. Well, we didn't tell them. And when a baseball hits that glass, it sounds like a bomb just went off. <laughs> yeah, these poor people inside are diving oh. under tables thinking that we're under attack somehow. But uh, So that was, uh, that was a, a really fun day. We, we learned a few things. We were able to... Uh, to fix a few things before we had that exhibition the following Friday or Saturday with uh, the Pirates. Right. Uh, beautiful weather, and then it snowed that night. It was Easter. We were supposed to have an open house, and we had to cancel that because we we had ice and snow. And then Monday we had uh, opening day uh, against Seattle. President uh, Clinton was here. Governor Voinovich was here. And uh, it was another beautiful day. You know. <laughs> Typical Cleveland weather. Typical. And then the next day it snowed again. <laughs> right, so of it course. Was, it was yeah. crazy. <laughs> well, it was the beginning of the renaissance of this franchise as we went through some magical times mm -hmm. in the That's 90s. When it became magic exactly. When we started playing the baseball. <laughs> exactly. Well, you and I could talk uh, um, for hours on all the things that you and I went through for 29 years yeah. together now uh, at this beautiful new building. Uh, here's hoping you enjoyed today's visit with Mr. Jim Folk. We look forward to sharing more stories at the ballpark on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. That's at the ballpark with Bobby D, and that's going to do it for Guardians Weekly. Thanks so much for tuning in, as always, and thanks to Brian Matze for putting together our show each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. 